<laughs> you even got to sleep in. It's still a little late on the draw. Uh, how many of you, I mean, the time, it, it's just rough. The time change is rough. Quick show, like you're dragging, you're a little tired. Anyone use like, you could use a cup of coffee. Quick show of hands. Some of you, okay, I see that hand. Fantastic. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate it. So... Enjoy that. You don't want, uh, this is the only, like normally in church we encourage sharing. Not today. This is too valuable. You know what I mean? Anyone, someone over here? I got you. Here. I, with all respect, you look like you could use a cup of coffee. Um, and for those of you who didn't get a cup of coffee, don't worry about it. On every row, there's one coffee card underneath your seats. Go ahead and take a look. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> There's a lady right there, like, what? Like, the whole row was going. I'm so sorry, that's just mean. That's so cruel. Um, but we, we do have coffee out in the commons, you know what I mean? All right, now that I lost all of you and I'll never get you back. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like right there, you know, like you just, I had to take it. I had to take the opportunity. Um, <laughs> So I want to start off by asking this question. Um, have you ever found yourself in a situation in life and you really ask yourself the question, like, how on earth did I get here? Uh, and more often than not, it, it's usually a sobering and negative experience where we ask that question. I mean, every once in a while, like you find yourself on the, you know, the, the sand and the, the beaches in Hawaii and you're like, how did I end up here? That's so rare. If you're anything like me, you sit there and go, how did I end up here? Because you did something foolish or something foolish was happened to you. Uh, it's not a, a moment that, that uh, screams like rejoicing and, and thankfulness. It's like, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Like how, how did I end up here? And, and like I said, it can be sobering because, um, well, well here's, here's the honest truth is for many of us, when we ask ourselves the question, how did I end up here? We don't want to be here. We want to be like, over there. Are you with me? Like when we were, you know, Steve, when you grow up, like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And it wasn't here. It was, I wanted, I, I want here. And maybe you can identify with that as well. You're like, when you dream your dreams and pray your prayers and you set out goals and you envision what your life is going to be like in your career, with your family, relationships with kids, how, how your marriage is going to operate. And then you find yourself and you go, how did I end up here? Here wasn't the goal. The goal was there, wasn't it? And we try really hard to go over there. And, and even a lot of us surround ourselves with other people that are going over there. And yet here we are, we find ourselves here, not there. And I don't wanna be here, I wanna be there, but I'm not there, I'm here. So here's the next obvious question. Now that I'm here, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have to define reality. I think every person needs to examine their life and define reality and go, okay, now that I'm here, what on earth do I do? Because we have to acknowledge that we made decisions that got us here. For some of us, legitimately, uh, bad things were happened happen to us and we had, and, and this is our lot, this is where we're at. However, I think for the vast majority of human beings, we make decisions that end us up here, not there. And so there's this tension, okay, now that I'm actually here, what do I do? How do I get from here to there? What's the next step? What do I do? How do I pray the prayer? Who do I need to talk to? All the things, right? Because we don't want here, we want, help me out. What do we want? Over there. And this is a really important question because we're gonna look at it this morning and, and we're gonna look at a passage, a couple passages in scripture that it's going to tell us what to do while we're here. Because inevitably, eventually, we all like to get there. 
And I, I would like to believe that we will get there, but we're here. So what do we do? How do we function? Who do we talk to? Uh, what, what are some of the things that we should do? And, and we can talk about this on an individual basis with our own lives, our own dreams, our own thoughts, all of those. And I think that's a value. But I wanna go bigger than that. I wanna talk about a community where you have a large group of people. I wanna talk about cultures, community, and society. And really, I think the million dollar question for Christians as, as we gather here on church and as everyone gathers on Sunday mornings in their church. I, I wanna ask the question, how did we get here as it relates to the relationship that Christians have with secular society? How did we end up here? And then the second thing is, what, what do we do once we know that we're here? How, how do we get past this? Because I don't know if you know this or not, the relationship isn't friendly. <laughs> It's, there's a lot of tension there. And, and a lot of times it's not just tension, it's, it's, uh, it's animosity, it's, it's fighting. It's not, it's not peaceful. It's not like, oh, well, we just agree to disagree. Um, there's a lot of angst and a lot of passion behind it. And somewhere along the line, Christians in secular society, it, 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 it turned into us versus them instead of us alongside them. And so we have this, this struggle that is happening and, and how do we love our neighbors well? Do our neighbors even wanna be loved the way that we're loving them? Like what, what, what do we do? How do we work through all this stuff? And as I'm asking all these questions and throwing all these things out here, this is exactly the situation that the Israelites find themselves in. And so we're gonna answer the question, what do we do? Or what does Israel do? And then we'll also answer the question, what do we do? Because there is this great divide between Christianity in secular society. And so we just wanna ask the question this way, how should Christians live in an ever-growing secular society? Because it is, and we do live among, among it. So we should probably figure out what, what do we do? How do we do this? So I wanna give you a little bit of a backstory uh, as we set the scene. So if you have a Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. And let me kind of give a little bit of review and set the scene as we jump in. So uh, Moses has given the Israelites, he says, here's the rules, here's the law, here's the commands. These are the terms of the relationship, okay? Uh, God is gonna be our God. We are gonna be his people. And in order for this relationship to work, here's how we're all gonna play. We're gonna do our part. Now, help me out. What's the title of this series? Okay, something about a rule keeper, something about a vow keeper. Pop quiz, who's the vow keeper? God. Oh, I'm sorry? God. God is the vow keeper. Who are the rule breakers? Okay, it's very important that we understand that. It's a very elementary truth, foundational for where we're gonna go. We have to understand, humanity, we are the rule breakers. Israel broke the rules and yet God keeps his vows. And here's what's fascinating. Um, God gives Moses the commands and he says, okay, Israel, you're to be a holy nation. You're to be set apart. You're gonna be unique. You're gonna be totally different than the rest of the nations. So when those nations look at you, they're gonna see your God. And they're gonna know that your God, Israel, is far superior on every category than our God. And they're gonna see this and they're gonna go, there's something unique about you. There's something special. Who is your God? This is the idea behind it. And so you fast forward and Israel says, we want kings. And God goes, I'm your king. And they say, no, no, like all the other nations. And God goes, no, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different. And they say, mm, we wanna be like all the other guys. So God, interestingly enough, gives them a king. And here we go. We have Saul. We have the start of the royal kingdom. Saul, a ton of sinning. Vow breaker, vow keepers, rule breakers. Were you with me? Okay, David, man after God's own heart. Tons of big sin, big sin. 
like super big sin. Solomon, same thing. He had a thing for the ladies. And yes, you could argue it's peace treaties, but he had over 700 wives. Like this is a big deal. This is not good. This is not honoring to God. And not only did he marry foreign women, but he brought in their gods. So now Israel is worshiping foreign gods. And a prophet goes to this guy right here named Jeroboam. And he says, hey, God is displeased. The kingdom's gonna split and you're actually gonna get 10 tribes. Solomon finds out about this. He's furious. He tries to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam flees to Egypt. Solomon's got a son, Rehoboam. Solomon dies. Rehoboam takes over. And he says, here's the deal. You thought taxes were high when my father was ruling. You ain't seen nothing. Taxes, workload. I mean, life is just horrific. So what happens? Kingdom is divided. You get 10 in the north. You get two in the south. And I just wrote some of the prophet names underneath here as they're speaking to what part of the divided nation, just so you know. But you fast forward in the north and you realize that, okay, that Assyria has conquered the northern kingdom. Judah in the south is going, hey, we still got this. Not for long. Babylon comes, conquers the south. Now, when you are God's chosen people and you are in the promised land and enemies, pagans, people who are worshiping so many gods and want to do nothing but discredit, dishonor your God. When they come in and they destroy your country and your way of life and haul you off into their land, it begs the question, how did I end up here? We have to understand that Israel, yes, is God's chosen people, but Israel, is like us, sins. And there are consequences to our sins. There's grace, mercy, and forgiveness, but nonetheless, there are still consequences to our sins. You know this if you've been in a relationship with somebody and you've sinned, there is a consequence in that relationship. There can be forgiveness, there can be grace, there can be mercy, but there are, help me out, there are consequences to all of these. Thus, the sin of Israel. So how in the world did we end up here? And what I think is a more important question, what do we do now that we're here? Okay, you ready for the answer? Okay, Jeremiah, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll pick it up in verse four. And you would think, okay, we're God's chosen people and the enemy has gotten us. There's only two options here. We dig our heels in and we rebel and we fight and we kick and we scream the whole way or we just kind of submit and compromise. We just assimilate because if we could have fought them off, we would have done it and not been in exile and here we are. So maybe if we just play with them and go along with everything, maybe we can live to fight another day. Jeremiah gives this third option and I think it is fascinating probably because it's not my first reaction at all. Let's see if it's yours. Here we go. Jeremiah 29, verse four. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's what I want you to do. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse five. Out of everything you can do, I want you to build houses and settle down. What? We want to fight. We want to rebel. We want to rise up. We're going to rally. We want progress. God, do you see what they're, they're defiling you. They're making fun of all of our ways. They're mocking you. Let's go, God. Come on. We're ready. Build houses and settle down. Okay, because we got to rest. We got, you need shelter, right? All right, let's settle, down. let's settle down. Here we go. Keep going. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Okay, sustenance so we can battle. Okay, got this. And then marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. So increase in number, right? Uh, be fruitful and multiply and, and do not decrease. Okay, so when we increase in number, not decrease, we'll have more people and we can battle. We can fight. Here we go. Verse seven, also seek the peace. <laughs> 
God, I don't think you understand. See, we're, we're your people. And uh, we're, we're the good guys. So Babylon is not your people. They're what we would call the bad guys. Okay, God, you tracking? So uh, we're the good guys. And the bad people need to be punished for the bad things. And we're the good people. And we need to be blessed for the good things. Like, come on. And God says, I want you, I want you to settle down. And I want you to seek the, say it with me. Peace. And not just that. And, and what? Prosperity of the city to which I, God, have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what, verse eight, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Okay, so when do we rally? When do we fight? Peace, prosperity, blah, 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 blah. When, when do we, come on, God. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. I, I love it when I see it on people's like social media and Instagram accounts and stuff. And, I, and I'm all for it. Just realize that this verse is written in like the darkest moment of the darkest hour ever. <laughs> Just some context. Verse 12. Then, I, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I'll bring you home. So, how should Christians live in an ever-growing secular society? Number one, bless the people and remember whose you are. How, how do we live in this world? We bless the people. Even the bad guys. We say, oh, yeah. Because when you bless them and that city becomes peaceful and prosperous, uh, that, you're going you're gonna to enjoy that. That's amazing. So yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to build houses, get established, set up roots, have kids, become grandparents, and seek the peace and prosperity. This means engage in culture. Well, okay, we're going to fight them and we're going to let them know what we really think. No, 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 just peace. And we're going to engage with them. That means we're, we're going to do business with them. And when there's a, an issue, when contracts get, get uh, all sorts of twisted, you ever have a construction project and then it goes a little longer than the contract? And there's tension arises. What, what do you do? Peace and prosperity. We'll work it out. We're going to work it out. It's okay. We can do this. So how we do business? We're going to do business with people so that they're blessed. We're going to love people. And when there's conflict in the community, we're going to be part of, of resolving it. We're going to seek a win-win opportunity here. We're probably going to end up praying for people that we disagree with, that we don't like, that do things differently, that probably don't worship our God, but we're, we're gonna do that because that's what God commanded us to do. We're, we're gonna bless the bad guys, even though we're the good guys. Which by the way, um, if we're the good guys and we're blessing bad guys, that's what makes the good guys the good guys. <laughs> Just so we're, we're still tracking there. So I, I think this is fascinating because our job, our job, if you were to look at this and take the words of Jeremiah, our job is to go seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. I don't know about you, but the last two years since COVID, uh, I would not describe it as a, a, a peaceful last two years. Prosperous for a community as a whole. I know a lot of people that have lost jobs. 
What do we do? How do we live in an ever-growing secular society? I think number one, we bless the people and we remember that we're God's children. This is the family business that we are in. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, There's a guy by the name of Daniel and the whole book of Daniel really wrestles with this question. Babylon is rulers and we are captives. How on earth do we live? In the book of Daniel, if you grew up in church, you got the flannel, flannel graph, you got that whole thing, and you got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're in the furnace, right? An epic, epic story of staying true and focused on worshiping our God. And then you go Daniel, chapter six, and you get Daniel in the lion's den, a wonderful, amazing story about being true, Daniel being true to his God and blessing a kingdom. It's incredible. So in your Bibles, go jump over to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. Um, Dan, God gave Daniel this um, a wonderful gift of, of wisdom, of knowledge, and the ability to interpret dreams. And wherever Daniel went, um, the, the, king, the kingdom was blessed. See, Daniel grew up in, in the south, in the southern kingdom, and he was part of the royal line. And so he was really, he was educated. He was smart. He had discernment. He had wisdom. And so uh, what, the, what the kings of Babylon did is they would take some of the Jews, some of the people from Judah, and they would bring them in and raise them up in their courts because these were smart people. And when you're ruling, especially a foreign group, it's nice to have someone that speaks the language. It's nice to have people that understand the inherent um, details of the culture. And so you got the kings doing this with Daniel and Daniel working alongside the kings. Now just think about that for a minute. You're, you're captured from the bad guys and you're gonna work with the king Oh, so you can rise up and take him out. No. He's just, he's blessing the people. And he clearly remembers whose he is. He's God's. So listen to this. Daniel chapter six, verse one. It pleased Darius to anoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. You wanna talk about influence? You wanna talk about blessing people? Daniel, blessing the bad guys, unbelievable. Verse four, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find, listen to this, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Imagine if your enemies said that about you. They're like, I don't like you, but he's trustworthy. Bless the people. Unbelievable. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is crazy. Wow. Verse five. Finally, these men... <laughs> let me take a drink. I got real excited. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So here's what they do. They set a trap. Why? Because he's an outsider. He's a captive. And all of a sudden he's getting promotions over me. I'm homegrown. He doesn't even go here. And I'm getting bypassed. So they set a trap. And they say, here's the deal. Uh, King Darius, you need to get this degree out there so that everyone and everybody, every single human being is gonna worship and pray to you. And if they worship any other God, if they pray to any other God, uh, they're gonna die. 
and you're the king, you cannot go back on your word. He said, yeah, let's do this. Great idea. So the trap is set, right? And of course, Daniel, he continues to pray. He opens up the window and he prays. And here we go, jump down to verse 16. Here it is. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Busted, because he broke the king's decree. He stayed faithful to his God, remembering whose he is. Listen to what the king says. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Do you see the respect? Hey, Daniel, I don't love that this is gonna happen, but I don't think our gods can pull through. Why don't you try yours? This is a captive who is not worshiping you, but worshiping his God. Like, we don't do this in society. This doesn't work at all. And so he says, okay, look, you know, let's, let's give your God a shot. Let's see what happens. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. None, I mean, what a reputation. Servant of the living God. I lost my place. When he came to the den, he called Daniel. Okay, anguish voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you served continually, that's a big point, continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Listen to Daniel's response. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. He didn't even say, Yes, my God beats your God up. Boom. <laughs> Honor, dignity, respect. You are king and I am not. I'll answer your question, but I'm going to acknowledge who you are even though I'm the good guys and you represent the bad guys. Like, bless the people. Remember whose you are. He says, may the king live forever. I don't agree with your ways. We think differently. I don't like your gods, but may the king live forever. Wow. Verse 22. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. How do we live as Christians in an ever-growing secular society? Number two, we stay the course and remember God's with us. Stay the course, friends. Stay the course. God's with us. I, I, I learned this lesson from my uncle. He said, hey, Steve, not, not every valley means a wrong turn. Uh, you're going to go through a lot of difficult things in life because that's, that's life. Um, and sometimes, Steve, God will have you in this place because he needs you there. Because there's people you're going to meet along the way. And I know it's really difficult and inconvenient for you. Um, but I got a bigger plan. So Israel, I told you, you're going to live a certain way and you're going to bless all the nations, but you weren't living that way. So I'm going to allow you to go into exile, but you're still going to bless, you're going to bless Babylon, which is another nation. Unbelievable. A valley doesn't necessarily mean a wrong turn. It can, but I think more often than not, it doesn't. It's just a detour. You think of Psalm 23? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. You're not far from his presence. He's, he's right there. And I always like to pause for a quick second. And can we just remind ourselves that right now as we gather in the building and those of you gathering online, can we acknowledge that, that God is here in this place like right now? Amen. And, and when you leave here to go get your kiddos in the other room, uh, God is with you. He's, he's with our kids. Right, right there. 
And as we go about our day and we're all sleep deprived and we have some conversations and we wish we would have said things a different way, can, can we remember that, that God is there in those conversations? And when we hop online and we see that people that we disagree with or don't like or can't stand or want to love, but we know we don't love, but we feel convicted about that, but not enough to change differently. Can we remember that God loves them too? And he's right there in that relationship. Amen. He's, he's right there. We, we have to stay the course, friends. And I know it's hard. I know it's not fun. I know it is draining legitimately, but God is with us. And apparently... He needs us to go through this so that we can stay the course, so we can bless the people. Now, for number three, for the last point, we're gonna go straight to the words of Jesus. So Matthew chapter five, you don't have to turn there. I, I, I can read it. You can turn if you want. But Matthew five, verse 43, this is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is, this is Israel, Babylon, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Again, this is the family business. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Verse 47. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? He's like, Israel, Babylon does that. They greet each other. They say hi. Wait, this doesn't make you special because you love your own people. Well, we're all Christians and we love each other. He said, that's not the point. You're loving your own people. Can you, can you love your enemies? Can you love people you don't like, disagree with? People that you fundamentally see the exact opposite of when it comes to issues of the world. It's expected that humans will like and love people that they all get along with. But Jesus did not call us to do that. Jesus called us to love our enemies and to pray, and to pray. So number three, what do we do? How do we live as Christians in an ever-growing secular society? Number three, we love our enemies. And remember that you were once an enemy of God. I was once an enemy of God. I joke with people all the time. I grew up in church and so I feel like, you know, mom gave birth and then the following weekend I was in church and then the next week, like I was studying Greek and Hebrew. You know, like I, I was just, that was just, just my life. And then Paul will go and he'll write to the Colossians and he say, hey, remember you were once enemies of God. There was a point in time where my life did not fall under God's rule and reign. I was king of my life, not, not God. I determined what I thought was right and wrong, what was good, what was evil. The only thing consistent in this whole relationship was God's love for me, not my love for him. Paul will also write to the Ephesians and he'll say, hey, remember your war isn't against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his demonic forces. Meaning that humans are not the enemy, that Satan is the enemy. That should change how we see human beings that are made in the image of God, shouldn't it? It, it, really, it really should. And so here, here's how I wanna wrap up. Um, I wanna take the words of Jeremiah and I, I don't want them to just be like three points that we, we put away on a bookshelf and go, yay. But how did we end up here in this relationship where it's us versus them instead of us alongside them? I think the best way for Christians to go and have the greatest influence in this world and represent Jesus here on earth is to love our enemies. 
And, and friends, I have to remind us, I have to remind myself, okay? I'm preaching to myself as well. We're the good guys, which means we have to do good things to the quote-unquote bad guys. That, that's our business. That's what we do. That's who we are. And so over the last two years, I've, I've noticed, I'm sure you have as well, um, our country has been very divisive, hasn't it? So I, I'm going to lead us through a prayer. There, there's four things, four categories that I want to pray through, and we'll, we'll put them right up here. Um, these aren't necessarily at odds with one another, but they can be. Uh, when it comes to politics and presidents, it's been really divisive. Uh, us versus them, good versus evil. I mean, you, you can put a lot of labels on it. When I, when I think of blessing the people, I, I think the church as a whole might have missed it in some of these. Number two, science and health officials. When we pray for uh, the peace and prosperity for people, I know this has been really, really challenging. Pe- people have, have lost their jobs over science and decisions that health, health officials have made. So when we talk about peace and prosperity, th- this, is, this is significant, isn't it? It really is. School boards and parents, just the tension that's there. When we think about peace, we want, you know, these are moms and dads trusting school board people to make really, really good decisions. And, and we all want the best for our children. And so there, there's the peace. We all want our, our kids to prosper. We want them yeah. to learn. We want them to be educated. Law enforcement and racism, there's some tension there, isn't there? What, what would it look like for law enforcement and racism? What would it look for, like with, with that story being told in a different way, in a new way? I think it'd be incredible. We, we don't have to look at odds. We, we don't have to be divided over these things. I think our country is, but I, I think there's a better way. And so this is gonna be challenging for some of us. For, I, I'll admit it's challenging for me as well, but I simply wanna take two minutes and lead us in a prayer through these because I'm gonna pray, like Jeremiah said, for peace and prosperity. And I want us as the church to bless the people and to remember whose we are. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, and and I just simply acknowledge that I was once an enemy of yours, and you were consistent in your love for me. So I thank you for that. And I I know this to be true for so many people that call this church home. So Father, we just we pause for a quick second and we just acknowledge that and we say thank you. Father, I also admit that, man, I, I have been divisive. I have, I have picked sides. Uh, I have hurled insults. I have posted things on social media that I wish I hadn't. I've had conversations and jokes with people that I wish I hadn't. So Father, thank you for your forgiveness of that. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in me and in so many other people in this room that we would have good things to say about people that are made in your image. And so, Father, I want to lift up our president. I want to lift up our past president. And, Father, I want to lift up our future president. And I want to pray. I want to pray that our nation would prosper. That between political parties, that there would be peace. We wouldn't um, smear each other's names and reputations. And, Father, I pray as, as Christians, as your church, that we would have our disagreements, but we would do them in love. Father, I pray for scientists and health officials 
We ask for peace. Decisions have been made, Lord, and there has been a lot of loss. There's been suffering. There's also been some good. And so, Father, I just acknowledge the tension, and this is so far beyond me. And I ask for your will to be done. I ask for agreeance. I ask for grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Father, for school boards and principals and parents, moms and dads, and even for our children, Father, we ask for peace, that we may disagree on curriculum. We may have other preferences. Father, I pray that we would do those in love and that you would be glorified through those disagreements and the way that we have handled one another and treated each other. Father, I pray for moms and dads. God, that there would be peace in the home. They care about their kids so much. And the burden of raising children is really heavy. God, would you remind moms and dads that they are not alone, that you are there with them and you love their kids so much more than they ever could. Father, would you help us to trust you? And finally, Lord, I pray for our law enforcement. I just say thank you that there are men and women that are willing to step up and risk their safety, Lord, to protect the community. What an honorable thing. So Father, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray against racism. Father, I pray for anyone that feels that they are somehow second class and unworthy. Father, I pray for minorities that they would truly feel and the conversations they have with people that call you Lord and Savior of their life that there would be respect, there would be dignity, there would be honor, there would be love, there would be joy, there would be peace. Father, there are so many other things in our nation that we could lift up and, and Lord, I, I, I pray that you would help us do that throughout the weeks and months to come. But ultimately, Father, you have called us to something that is far greater than us. You've called us to go and bless the people to pray and love our enemies because that is how people are gonna see that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are our Savior. So Father, would you help us along the way? Because we will, we will screw this up from time to time. I pray that we will be loving, we'll be merciful, and we'll be gracious with one another. Help us to be a light in a very, very dark world. As a church, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close by singing one last song.